Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesterfield Baptist Church. This morning's message will be out of the book of Judges, chapter 16. And the title of the message is The Most Expensive Haircut Ever. Please enjoy. If you have your places in Judges chapter 16, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're physically able as we read the scripture. We're going to read two verses, pray, and then sit back down. Judges chapter 16, and we're just going to read verses 4 and 5. After this, it came about that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. And see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And the title of the message this morning is The Most Expensive Haircut Ever. The Most Expensive Haircut Ever. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful once again to live in this country that you've given us the privilege of living in. Lord, we love our country, but Lord, we love you. We love our God. We love our Bible and we love the salvation that you've given us. And we love the home in heaven that you've given us a promise eternal if we turn from our sins in faith and put our faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we study the Word of God. May we just become closer Christians and have a closer relationship to God Almighty. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, my dad, as most of you know, was a barber. My dad cut hair for over 50 years. One of the reasons... Why I love Charlie Brown so much because Charlie Brown's dad was a barber. And so that was one of the reasons why I really love Charlie Brown stuff. And my dad was a barber, and so needless to say, um, uh, I, I never had to pay for a haircut. Now, Whitney sees fit to not, you know, carry on that tradition, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, but I never, I never paid for a haircut. Now, a couple things about that. When you're just sitting in the chair and a paying customer pulls up, you're getting out of the chair because the paying customer's first. But I can remember being in, the, being in the, the barber chair and getting a haircut and then a customer come in near the end of my haircut and would sit down and uh, he would, I would get done, he would get done cutting my hair and I'd get up and I'd always give the same joke. And then he laughed every time. I'd always tell him the checks in the mail. And he just would laugh every time at that joke. The customer would laugh because they would know that I'm his son. And so we just got a kick out of that. And that leads us right into our story for today. You know, when we talk about Samson, we have this picture image in our heads. When you Google Samson in the Bible, maybe you get this picture of this wild, jungle-looking, mangy hair, just, just wild-looking man, and maybe he might look like a wrestler. Maybe he might look like, like The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's just got muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. And, you know, when we 
picture Samson in our minds, we think, man, this is a guy that could give Thor a run for his money. And that's just the picture inside just this wild-looking mangy guy with muscles everywhere and hair everywhere. But when it comes to the Bible, the Bible paints a little bit different picture. Uh, the Bible says that his hair was in locks, meaning that his hair was braided. And so instead of him looking like, you know, a jungle guy, he, he, in my mind, he probably looked more like a pretty boy, like Absalom. Kind of is what, kind of what's in, in my head from the Bible. Another thing is that there's nowhere in the Bible that says he had muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. I mean, even if this guy was a bodybuilder, how in the world is he going to pick up the gates of the city and carry them 36 miles? I mean, Vinny at the gym can't do that, okay? And, and so, um, and, and, you know, and Vinny at the gym's also not going to pick up the jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand people with it. Now, look, I, I, I know that Samson did not look like this massive beast. And how do I know that? Well, I know it from the Word of God. Because earlier in Judges chapter 16, the Bible tells us that the lords of the Philistines, there were five of them, and, and you can think of them like governors. The lords of the Philistines came to a, a lady named Delilah and told Delilah, we're going to pay you money because we want to know the secret of his strength. Now, this guy looked like a, a roided up bodybuilder, you know, with Vinny down at the gym shooting creatine. If, if, they, if he looked like that, then they would know what the secret of his strength was. But they look at him and they said, we, don't, we can't tell where he gets his strength from. We don't know. And Delilah, we're going to pay you money. You know how much money they paid Delilah in today's terms? $27 million. They paid her $27 million. That's mind-blowing because they wanted to know. They, they looked at Samson and they were absolutely bewildered. We have no idea how this guy is as strong as he is. And we're willing to put $27 million down because we want to know where does his strength really come from. You know, and if his secret is pumping iron with Vinny down at the gym, then, we don't, then they already knew the secret then. It was something else. They had no idea. Let's look at verse number 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on their on her she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. May 18th, 
1993. The President of the United States, Mr. Bill Clinton, needed a haircut. So he called this guy up named Kristoff to come cut his hair. And where they decided to go get this haircut was, was on the tarmac at the airport inside Air Force One. So Kristoff came to the airport, came on the tarmac, went in uh, to Air Force One and gave the President of the United States a haircut. Now you may think this might not be, this, what, what's the big deal about this? Well, here's the thing. When the President of the United States is on the tarmac of an airport, everything stops. No planes land, no planes leave, everything absolutely stops. So you have planes in holding patterns circling the airport that can't land because Bill Clinton is getting a haircut by Kristoff. And so you have these, these planes that, uh, that were diverted going to other airports and you have people missing their flights and missing their des destinations and all because the president needed a haircut. Now, when Bill Clinton got back to the, where, the, the, the warehouse, the White House, he sent, Kristoff Chris, sent Bill Clinton the bill. The bill was $200. $200 for a haircut. Now, I got to stop and I got to tell you another story about my dad. My dad was a barber, old school. He could cut your head of hair with a straight razor, okay? My dad went and got his hair cut at JCPenney's because my sister worked there. My sister would cut his hair. Well, he's, uh, a guy sat down beside him, and my dad charged $10 for a haircut. My, a guy sat down beside my dad, and joop, 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 was, joop, zoop, zoop, was in the chair five minutes, got up and paid their girl $25. My dad got up out of that seat and looked at my sister and said, I'll never cut another head of hair for $10, ever, for the rest of my life. If he can get that, if, if she can get that for $25, I'm charging at least $15. And they charge $15 for a haircut from then on. So, so back to Bill Clinton. So apparently this was a, this was a, uh, it was a slow news day. And for a week, all the major news corporations picked up this story and talked about all the people who had missed their flights and their flights canceled, how much it cost the airlines. And then they got wind of how much the haircut cost. It cost $200. And all the people that didn't get home that night and one, the, the Washington Post. The Washington Post said it was the most expensive haircut since Samson. And, uh, but you know, there is something that Bill Clinton and Samson had in common, is they both knew what it was like to pay too much for a haircut. They both knew what it was like. You know why? Because sin will take you farther than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. And when the price tag comes due for sin, it's always too much. The price tag is always too much. 
And man, so Delilah cuts Samson's hair and she starts afflicting him. And, and, and when the Philistines lay hold on him and then he can't do what he thought he could do, all of a sudden Samson realized that the cost was too great. You know, there isn't much good you can say about Delilah. But I, would, I will say this. The one thing you can say about Delilah is she was honest. She was an honest woman. She was upfront about everything. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is, how you may be bound to afflict you. And the, the bizarre thing about this chapter is Delilah told him what her plan was. We want to bind you so we can afflict you. I mean, she told him what she was planning to do. Where does your strength come from? But you see, Samson is so full of pride. And Samson is so full of arrogance that he doesn't care about all that. It's all fun and games. Until he wakes up with a haircut and he has to pay the bill. And when Samson gets the price tag for the haircut, what he's going to find out this morning, Christian, what he's going to find out is that the price tag is too high. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you some things. I want to tell you this morning what Samson's haircut cost him. Number one, it cost him his strength. It cost him his strength. Verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. Now, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand this verse. It's not like the hair follicles inside of Samson's scalp reach down to the nerve endings and the connective tissue in his muscles. Thus, when his hair grew longer, he grew stronger. That's not what's going on here. In fact, I'm here to tell you today, his hair was not the source of his strength. His hair was not the source of his strength. In fact, to understand Samson's story, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of Samson's life. You have to go all the way back to when the, the angel of the Lord appeared to a human. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a stunning, stunning thing. With the Old Testament, we have this phrase called the angel of the Lord. When you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, what you're seeing is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. The technical term is a theophany, which Christians tend to, tend to use the term Christophany. And this is when you see Jesus Christ pre-Bethlehem in the Old Testament. And you know, in the study of these are very, very interesting because Jesus did appear to some people that we would think He would appear to. Jesus appeared to Abraham and Jesus appeared to Daniel and Jesus appeared to Moses, but then Jesus appeared to some people that you wouldn't think He would appear to. Jesus appeared to Hagar. Jesus appeared to Samson's mother and some other people that you would never assume that he would appear to. 
But the Bible says that the angel of the Lord and how we, you know, uh, you didn't bow down and worship an angel. In fact, John tried that in Revelation and the angel said, stand up. But in the Old Testament, we've got these people bowing down to the angel of the Lord because it was, it was God. It was Jesus. And the Bible says that, that Jesus came to Samson's mother. And uh, the thing is, what he told her about this child is this child would begin to deliver Israel. Now, that's important. He didn't say this child would deliver Israel. He said this child would begin to deliver Israel. Okay, I mean, Samson was on the planet 30, 40 years, and the Bible said he was just going to begin to deliver Israel. But there's another interesting piece of information that the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave to Samson's mother. And what he told Samson's mother is that your baby boy is going to be a Nazarite his whole life. Now, we don't need to get this confused, okay? He was, there's a difference between a Nazarene and a Nazarite. A Nazarene is from Nazareth. A Nazarite is different than Nazarene. Jesus was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth, but he was not a Nazarite. So there's always some confusion when it comes to that. But, but the angel of the Lord said Samson is going to be a Nazarite for all his life. Now you go to Numbers chapter 6 and it tells us, you don't have to go there, but in Numbers chapter 6 it tells us what it means to be a Nazarite. What we call taking the vow of the Nazarite. Now it might last a week or more often than not it would last a couple of weeks. But it was something you did during a, pre, a preset time to say to God, God, I mean business with you, so I'm going to take this vow for three weeks. It's almost like fasting is for us. You fast when you've got something important that you want to pray for, and you can fast from food, from sleep, from anything you enjoy, but it's very similar to fasting. Now, there were three men in the Bible who are Nazarites their whole life. One was Samson, two was Samuel, and three was John the Baptist, okay? Now, when it comes to being a Nazarite, there are three major commandments. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole bunch of nuance and other little things to become a, to take the Nazarite vow. But the thing is, is that if you didn't do these major three, you did not, you were not taking the Nazarite vow. There were three commands that God gave to the Nazarites. Number one, don't cut your hair. Number two, don't touch a dead body. And number three, do not go anywhere near alcohol. And that is taken to the extreme of don't go near alcohol, don't touch a grape, don't touch a raisin, don't go into a vineyard. That is how far that commandment is taken. You know, people say that the Bible is complicated. Um, there's, you know, what's complicated about thou shalt not? That's not very complicated, is it? It may be hard to do, but it's not complicated to understand. People think, people look at thou shalt nots and they get confused. But thou shalt not is very easy to understand. 
The first time we see Samson in the Bible, he's, he's walking down a creek. He's in a border town near Philistia. He's walking down a creek and he comes and a lion pounces on him. Uh, this lion pounces on Samson and the spirit of the Lord comes on Samson and he rips the lion in two and throws it down. Now, I know you're not supposed to touch dead things, but even when you're a Nazarite, if a lion jumps on you, you're allowed to kill it. You're allowed to rip it in two. So he rips the lion in two. He throws it down. But that's not the problem. The problem is, is when he's walking back and the lion's been dead for a few days. Now, most of the time when we see a dead animal that's been there outside for a few days, there's blowflies and maggots and this type of thing all around it. But when Samson looked at the lion, inside the lion was a, was a, was a, a beehive. There was honey inside the lion. You know, and, and, and yeah, you could almost hear, you could almost hear Samson talk about himself in the third person, and he's like, he comes up on this line and said, this, this jabroni lion, I took him to, this, Samson took him to the Smackdown Hotel, but Samson's hungry, so no, Samson's going to get some honey. And as he reaches the lion back, and he goes in and he grabs the honeycomb. Hold on a second, Samson. Hold on! You are commanded not to touch a dead body. Samson doesn't care about that, because Samson is hungry. I'm going to take what I want. He even grabs some for his mom and dad. He gives it to his mom and dad, but he doesn't tell them where it came from. Isn't that interesting? But what did the Bible say? Don't touch a dead lion. But you know what? He didn't care. He didn't care about it. He said, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. I didn't know how much of a baseball fan I was until I went to a Major League Baseball game. First Major League Baseball game I ever went to was a Braves game on my senior trip. And, you know, you watch baseball on TV and it's kind of, you know, I don't want to say boring, but it's just, you know, but when you're, when you're in the field, when you're in the stadium and you're watching a baseball game, something comes over you. And uh, I, there's footage of me at this Braves game that I'm trying to suppress because I don't want people to know how I acted at the Braves game because I was just like going crazy excited. I've been to a Braves game. I've been to a Cubs game. I've been to a White Sox game. Just going and watching a Major League Baseball game is just in, in person. It's just a different experience. But you could almost imagine seeing Samson grab the dead lion to reach in and grab the honey, and you could almost hear God say, strike one. Strike one, Samson. And you know, he'll do this again. When you hear the word Samson, what's the main thing you think about that he did? He took the jawbone of a donkey and he killed a thousand people. People uh, praise Samson about that, but they don't realize that he had to break the commandment of God to do it. The jawbone of a donkey is a dead animal. He wasn't supposed to touch it. And he killed a thousand people with it. So he's famous for disobeying God. He's famous for it. 
Later on, he wants to get married. He wants to have a feast. And in context of the Bible, in context of the time that Samson lived in, when it's sitting, the Bible says feast, what he's really saying is, I want a wild, drunken bachelor party. In context, that's what it means. But listen, Samson, I thought you weren't allowed to touch alcohol, much less throw a kegger. You know, you're not allowed to do that. But why did he do it, though? You know, the Bible tells us why he did it. The Bible tells us why he did it. The Bible says, for the young man customarily did this. He said, everybody else gets to have fun. I want to have fun, too. Everybody else gets to have this big, wild party. I want to have the wild party, too. Everybody else gets to go to the club. I want to go to the club, too. I want to be like everybody else. They have fun. Why can't I? Because God commanded you not to do it, Samson. That's why. God commanded you not to do it. But he wanted to do what everybody else did. I want to have the wild party like everybody else. You know, later on, this issue comes up again because Samson even goes into some vineyards. And he's not supposed to go in a vineyard. And you can hear God say, Samson, strike two. So you see here, the big problem wasn't him getting his hair cut. The big problem was that when, he, when the hair got cut, he struck out three strikes. You know, maybe he didn't care about Delilah, telling Delilah all this stuff, because in the past, he had broken all these commandments and nothing had happened. Nothing had ever happened to him. But you know, hanging on by a thread because of the grace of God does not give you permission to keep disobeying him. And the only reason why Samson had not failed and drowned and died up until that point was the grace of God. That was the only reason. But then when he finally threw caution to the wind and decided he wasn't going to obey one last time, he struck out. You see, the secret of Samson's strength was not his haircut. The secret of Samson's strength was the presence of the Lord. It was the Spirit of the Lord. Do you know that every time Samson did a mighty act, the same phrase pops up, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? That same phrase pops up every time. Now here we have Samson for the third time saying, I care nothing about the command of God for my life. And the bill came due, it cost him his strength. Number two, it cost him the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out at, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He was so arrogant that he thought he would go out just as he did so many times before. But the, the, the tragic thing is, is that he did not know. He didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. You know, I guess, I guess he figured, just like the song says, he's just there all the time, you know. 
There will come a time in a person's life where they, they will be presented the gospel the last time. They will be presented the gospel the last time. They'll never get it again. There's going to come a time in a Christian's life when they will disobey God the last time before the chastening hand of God comes. You see, there's always a line. Always a line. And here's the thing. I don't know where the line is, and you don't know where the line is, but God does. And when it comes to this line, this is serious business. This is serious, serious business. So now the Bible says that he's lost the presence of God. And see, the tragic thing is he doesn't even know. You know, I guess he assumes that he can disobey all he wants to. He can disobey God's commands all he wants Man, as long as I, I show up for church and as long as I put a big smile on my face and I say howdy do to everybody and, you know, when I'm away from the church, I can live how I want to live and I can do what I want to do. I don't have to obey. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Nathan stood in front of David and looked at David and said, Thou art the man. And man, David repented. And David asked for forgiveness. And guess what? David got the forgiveness that he asked God for. But ask me if David still had consequences to pay. He still had to pay his consequences. See, there are still consequences for our actions, and we have to remember that before we step over the line. We have to remember that. And one day, you're going to discover that you can play games with God and play games with sin, but one day, you're going to discover it's not worth the cost. That we're, we think we're just going to shake ourselves loose and go on about our day just like we have a thousand times before. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. And when the bill came due for Samson, it cost him his strength, cost him the presence of God, and then number three, it cost him his eyes. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Now this is interesting, because when... In the old days, when you took over a city, what you would do is they didn't have enough troops to leave at the city to make sure it stayed under their control. So they would take all the young men who were of age to fight in battle and they would cut off their arm or they would cut off their leg. Now that sounds very barbaric. But it is what they did. And it was to ensure that they could not rise up again in the future and take back their city. Because then you'd have an army of one-legged, one-armed guys coming at you, which would be easy to uh, overcome. But that is exactly what they did. Well, Samson was public enemy number one to the Philistines, and they didn't cut off his arm, and they didn't cut off his leg. The Bible says that they gouged out his eyes. 
Now, why did they do that? There is a principle taught from one cover of the Bible to the other cover of the Bible. It is taught throughout the entire Word of God until eventually it is put into words. And the principle taught throughout the Bible is be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Now let's talk about the word that. In the Greek, that can mean two different things. It could mean something of a different kind, or it could mean something of the same kind. And the that that's in that verse is talking about the same thing, of, a, of things of the same kind. So whatever you sow, that thing is what you will reap. Now, when we first see Samson, he follows a creek to Timnath. And the first thing that we're told about Samson is he sees a woman in Timnath. And he says, go and get her to be my wife. You know, where we're introduced finally to the first thing, we're introduced to the dominating thing in Samson's life. And 1 John would later call it the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. See, that is what drove Samson. And man, he said, and, and talk about a guy who didn't honor his parents. He said, go get there. He didn't, he didn't care about anything. He didn't care that this was a Philistine woman. He didn't care that they, they were in war. He didn't care what that, he didn't care that she was an idol worshiper and that she worshiped Dagon. He didn't care about all that. He didn't care what kind of background was she, was she a Jew? Or did, she, or did she believe the God? She didn't, he didn't care about all that. He only cared about what he saw. And when you get to the end of that episode, if things are a complete and utter disaster, so many people are dead. Samson's brothers are wanting to sell him out. You get to the end of that episode and it's a complete disaster. The next episode, he goes down to Gaza and sees a harlot. Samson... The last time you went down this road, it was a disaster. Samson didn't care. He went down that road again. And guess what? There it was. The lust of the eyes led to complete disaster. And here we get to the final chapter in Samson's life. And we have the same thing. The lust of the eyes. Now, you know, I don't know why they didn't cut off his hand or his, 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 his foot. You know, maybe even they didn't know. But through the providence of the sovereign God, he said, gouge out his eyes. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Samson lived a life saying, whatever I see, I'm going to get. You know what the world says? The world says, live your best life now. Go out and make your dreams come true. The most important thing is self-happiness. It's to satisfy your flesh. And the God of the Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Your happiness is not the most important thing. It is not the most important thing. 
Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. A drunkard will reap and lose their ability to think. An addict will forfeit everything in their life. Adultery will forfeit. A marriage, the bill always comes due. The bill always comes due. Number four, self-respect. The Bible says, and they brought him down to Gaza. Now they brought him down to Gaza, which is in the heart of the Philistine territory. This is 36 miles past the border. There's no way any Israelites are coming to save him. They brought him down to Gaza, and it says in verse 21, they bound him with bronze chains. They're not doing the rope thing again. They've already been down that road, and they're not taking any chances. They put bronze chains on him. But then it says that he was a grinder. In the prison. Anybody remember Conan Barbarian where he's pushing the thing? You know what's the interesting thing about this? What they would do is they would take a donkey and the donkey would pull the grinder at the mill. What did Samson kill the Philistines with? Jawbone of a donkey. The irony, they took the donkey away and they put Samson doing the donkey's job. Do you see the irony? In this whole situation, he's doing the job of a donkey. He lost because the bill came due. He lost so much. He lost his strength. He lost the presence of the Lord. He lost his eyes. He lost his dignity. And then finally this morning, he lost his life. And Samson said, this was Samson's last words, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might, so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So here are the final words of Samson's, and God is about to write the epitaph of Samson's life. You know, what could you say about Samson? Maybe you could say what he could have been. Maybe you should say what he should have been. I mean, he was supposed to deliver Israel, and here he is about to die, and he hasn't done it yet. So we all know the story. Samson's blind. He has a young man take him over to the main pillars in the Colosseum. The lords of the Philistines are there. They're packed. The place is packed. They're worshiping Dagon, their false god. Samson gets to the pillars and he prays for the strength of the Lord one last time. And he pushes the pillars away. And the place collapses and everybody in there dies. And what could God say at Samson's death? What did God say behind the pulpit at Samson's funeral? What did he say? He said he killed more people in his death than he did in his life. That's all he could say. I mean, if Samson had listened to his father, things would be different. If Samson had obeyed the commands of God, things would be different. But it's almost if, because I know God doesn't struggle, but it's almost if God is struggling to find something to say good about Samson. It's almost, I mean, all he can say is that he killed more people in his death than he did in his life. There was a politician that came to Abraham Lincoln. This politician sat at the White House across from Abraham Lincoln, and this politician did not like Ulysses S. Grant. So he had a list 
of all these things that Ulysses S. Grant did and why he needed to be fired. And so Abraham Lincoln sat there as this guy went through the list. And Abraham Lincoln sat there for hours as this guy gave reason after reason after reason why Ulysses S. Grant should be fired. And for hours, Abraham Lincoln sat there and listened and didn't say a word. And when the politician finally got done with his list, Abraham Lincoln looked over at the guy and said, well, at least he fights. At least he fights. Maybe that's all you can say about Samson is at least he fights. But Samson never sought the Lord. He had no testimony of the grace of God, nothing. Sin made him pay a price that he didn't want to pay. You see... What I want to tell you this morning is it seems as if you can play with sin for as long as you want to. It seems as if that you can go as long as you want to go, almost like you set the parameters. As long as I don't do this, I'll be okay. But, but I'm here to tell you this morning, one day the bill comes due. And it came due for Samson. It cost him his strength. It cost him the presence of God. It cost him his eyes. It cost him his dignity. And it cost him his life. A young man sat at a kitchen table. And in front of this young man was a $4 million contract to play ball for the Devil Rays. This is in 1989. There are two players fresh out of high school that were the most anticipated, highest baseball players of highest paid base, anticipated paid baseball players of all time. One of them was a guy named Alex Rodriguez, and the other one was this guy. This guy's name was Josh Hamilton. And all he had to do was sign this contract. And of course, he signed the contract. He played in the minor leagues. He even wrote a book about it called Beyond Belief. I mean, everybody could see the potential in this guy. And so he's in the minor leagues playing ball, and he's working himself up to major league baseball. He's literally weeks away from being in the big league team. And then a night happened that would change his life. A teammate of his took him to a party. And he was introduced to drugs, and he tried drugs for the first time. He became addicted. He lost everything. His family abandoned him. And this guy went from signing a $4 million contract to play Major League Professional Baseball to being a bum on the street. But you read it in his book. He had a godly grandmother that prayed for him. Where are you at, Grandma? He had a godly grandmother that prayed for him, and God rescued him. But for the rest of his life, he talks about this time. He had his whole life laid out in front of him, but he threw it away because the bill came due. For all the fun that Samson had, when the bill came due, it wasn't funny anymore. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will make you pay more than you want to pay. There's someone in here this morning. 
You have never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You've never been saved. You don't know that you're on your way to heaven. And maybe the reason why you've never, never given your life to Jesus is because there's a sin in your life that you don't want to give up. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I, you would rather gouge out your eyes, pluck your eyes out, and go to heaven than keep your eyes and go to hell. It's not worth it. If you have never accepted Christ, today is the day. On the flip side, there may be a Christian in here. You're saved, but man, there's, a, there's something in your life that you haven't given up. There's a sin that's besetting you. And man, you're trying to get victory over it, but you just can't seem to give it up. You keep going back to it. Listen, today's the day to leave it at an altar. Because one day you're going to cross a line. The chastening hand of God will come. The consequences may last the rest of your life. We need to leave that sin at the altar today. The bill comes due. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This isn't about a certain sin today. I really don't care what the sin is that, that you're dealing with in your life. And that doesn't matter. Because sin is sin. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's all wrong and against God. But today, we need to know the bill comes due. And it's not worth the price. Today we need to leave a sin at, at an altar. Today we need to come to God and ask for forgiveness and turn away and repent and go in the other direction. And if you're in here today and you don't know 100% for a fact that you're on your way to heaven, during the invitation, if you want to come down to this altar and get my attention, I'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know that you're on your way to heaven. Or maybe even after the service, you can get my attention after the service. We'll go in the back and we'll talk about it. And I'll show you how you can know that you're on your way to heaven. But this morning's message is about the dangers of sin. Christian... Don't play with sin. It's not worth it.